We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Coming to you live on a Monday morning, September 18th, 2023. To break down Oregon's 55-10 to win over the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors to wrap up non-conference play. But I'm not rolling solo today. I'm joined by my good friend. You guys know him from all of his appearances on my show, Spencer McLaughlin, the host of the Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 podcast. How we doing, buddy? Oh, dude, we love having college football back. That's how we're doing. And week three was, um, I think it over-delivered in the pack and elsewhere uh, based on what the expectations kind of were. And week four is, oh boy, <laughs> doggy. We got some matchups. Oh, gosh, I'm excited already. And it's Monday morning. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. I'm- I'm stoked for week four. We got Oregon versus Colorado in Eugene at Autzen Stadium. Coach Prime, Stradour Sanders, Shiloh Sanders might be without Travis Hunter. It looks like he's not going to be able to go, but we can we can table that for a little bit later because uh, I want to get into this 55 to 10 win for Oregon in week three. But before we do that, if you guys are tuned in live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, do me a quick favor. And make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. Leave me a comment on how you're feeling about Oregon's week three win over the Rainbow Warriors and how things are looking going into week four. So Spencer, kind of dive into this game a little bit. 45 point win. Not too far off my prediction, I might add. I predicted 59 to 17. Um, Copycat. You copycat. That was my score prediction. It was? It was. (laughs) On the money. We were both very close. But. It's funny. I texted uh, my my brother and our and our friend Zach. We have a three way group chat. We talk about the the Ducks and the Mariners in there because we're all fans of those teams, and we always make predictions before uh, before big football games. And so I you know texted in there like, hey, I'm I'm going fifty nine seventeen here, and they just kept, they went with like the Price is Right strategy. One of them went fifty six to ten, and one of them went fifty two to seventeen, just to like. You know, you know what I'm talking about when someone bets like, um, uh, Bob, I'll, I'll bet, I'll bet two hundred dollars, and then someone comes in two hundred and one dollars. That's basically what they were doing, and then it ends up at uh, fifty-five to fifty-five to ten. So then I lose that prediction amongst the three of us 
because I predicted first. So I think the lesson I got to learn is predict last so that you can, you know, just <laughs> have that kind of edge in there. <laughs> yeah, got to gotta hold out a little bit and, and see what everyone else gauge the field a little bit. But um, kind of what we were expecting in this Oregon versus Hawaii game. Um, Ducks looked pretty sharp. You know, again, got to clean up the penalties. Those kind of reared their ugly head again. And, and Dan Laney was quick to to talk about it as a priority after the game. And the post-game press conference saying, if you're going to commit a penalty, you know we can't have you out there. Um, so that's uh, something that they're going to hopefully clean up heading into this week. But big day for, for Bo Nix through the air. And transfer wide receivers, Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden, both get a pair of touchdowns. So that's kind of maybe where we can start thing is just the big performances offensively. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know about most noticeably, but I had it crossed my mind again. Chris Hudson is kind of following the Byron Cardwell trajectory here, wherein he was a player last year. Look like he might be again this year, but transfers who have come in look like they've just kind of pushed him down the depth chart. I mean, the reports were that he's healthy, but the good news for the Ducks is that that's just the kind of crazy depth that that this offense has, that our second leading receiver from a year ago hasn't caught a pass this year. And after the Texas Tech game, and I still feel this way, I think our wide receivers are our best overall unit on either side of the football, if you're talking about depth, talent, experience, and uh, and, and reliability. So, I mean, Tez Johnson is just such such a dynamic athlete. Treshawn Holden, I thought looked really. I mean, that touchdown run that he caught from Ty Thompson was like, well, I didn't, I didn't know he went that fast. I didn't know he moved that quickly. But he had the touchdown from Bo Nix uh, as well, and um, he's a guy who was kind of minimally involved against Texas Tech, but much more heavily involved against Hawaii. And, and that's just the way this offense rolls. Is Troy Franklin's your number one? But as for who's the number two, it can be Gary Bryant, it could be Treshawn Holden, it could be Tez Johnson. I think they are just really, really good and talented at at, at that spot. And the chemistry with Bo Nix is clearly there with with, with these guys. And I, I think that I I feel just so supremely confident about everything offensively except the run blocking, um, which I'm not able to really assess against Hawaii or Portland State. We can only really judge against Texas Tech, and it was bad. Like it just if we're being honest, it was a below average effort for, for the Ducks. I wouldn't give it an F grade necessarily. It's still, you know, over three and a half yards of carry, but it just wasn't as prolific on the ground as, as we would like to have seen. But, you know, that can always improve. And the pass protection has been excellent all three weeks. And I think that's a, a reason that Bo Nix is getting such great chemistry with his receivers because he's got time to throw. I mean, he's got clean pockets. He doesn't have to leave very often. And Will Stein's dialing up the right plays at the right time. So, uh, offensively, I, I think this is a team that uh, has just got such great balance and and depth and talent um, that it's hard to not feel good about them. And and I you know talked about on my show today. I, I think the defense is definitely a better unit than they were in 2022. Yeah. So Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden kind of stole the show offensively, certainly from a receiving standpoint. But Tro Franklin still did his thing, 83 yards on four catches. And Gary Bryant Jr. got a little bit more involved. So I, I agree with you with what you're saying about the receivers. I think this is probably the deepest group that we've seen in quite some time. I love watching Tez Johnson play. The dude just has some wiggle and some, some juice to his game. Really twitchy talent. So I'm, I'm super excited to see how he's going to continue to get utilized moving forward. You ever At see the movie The Longest Yard? Mm-hmm. With, uh, with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock and Rob Schneider and a lot of other people. 
there's a line in there when the uh, the guy who's serving as the spy for the guards football team is reporting about Megat, who's played by Nelly, uh, the rapper in in the movie. He's like, oh, they got a running back, Megat. Uh, he's good. He's he's fast. He's real fast. I mean, he he he's so fast. He makes fast people look, you know, not fast. And that's what I think about with Tez Johnson all the time as he runs, and I'm like, God, that guy's really fast. <laughs> and there's some fast dudes out there, but he makes them look a little bit slower because of the way that he just accelerates. He is an awesome, awesome football player to watch. He's just so smooth with it, and I think he's going to be a big weapon for Oregon moving forward. Nice that he's getting rolling in the non-conference slate, so he has that momentum that you can hopefully carry into conference play going into next week. As for the ground game, uh, I think they bounced back a little bit, but like you were saying, not the best quality opponent to really get a good gauge on what this group really looks like. But uh, on Jordan James' long touchdown run, they uh, one of his two on the longer one, they really blocked that one perfectly. You saw uh, Patrick Herbert come out with that kickout block. So that was great. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that I have from that game, Spencer, is that it really does look like Oregon is committed to this being a three-headed attack in 2023 with Noah Whittington leading the way from a stat standpoint, got 80 yards on just five touches and uh, that dude's fast as well. And then Bucky Irving was doing his usual stuff. So Jordan James has kind of been the star early on, I would say for, for the ducks. And it was kind of what we were uh, being told through this off season, but it's nice to see that it's coming to fruition early on. Yeah. I, I love the running back room. It's part of the reason I feel good about this offense all the time is because if one guy goes down in that running back room, I, I don't know that there's a drop off in in the production on with with the ground game, you know. And you haven't always been able to say that with Oregon over the years, but most of the time, I think you have been. You know, I mean, C.J. Verdell went down, Travis Dye stepped in, and was arguably a better overall back than than Verdell when he got the starting opportunity. Was certainly, uh, I, I think, better in the passing game, and you know, better at making guys miss. Maybe not quite as physical, but I, I think the depth has just been on display all season long. And and I don't feel like there needs to be an adjustment from what they've done with the running back room. Like Jordan James is getting a greater share of the touches than he did a year ago. He's not just a short yardage guy. He still is a short yardage guy where I think he's really, really good. But all these guys are, you know, talented in their own ways. And they all have distinct styles and traits that, that make them effective. You know, Bucky is the shiftiest. Whittington, I think, has the best breakaway speed. And and Jordan James is the most physical. Like, you have three distinct styles of running that are effective. And these guys are just all so good. And the other thing, too, Max, with the running back room is you have to be at least two deep. And I love being three deep because... That's a position that gets hurt a lot. Like running back, linebacker, offensive line. You have to be so solid on your two deeps because those positions just inevitably get hurt the most because they get hit the most. Um, you, you know, defensive line, you, you can see injuries there, but I don't think it happens with the frequency as it does on the offensive line because you're not as likely to get rolled up on from behind on, on the defensive line. So I, I think at those three groups, you know, running back, I want you to be three deep. We are. Uh, linebacker, if you're in a 4-2-5 scheme the way we are with with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoi and the rest of the defensive staff. You have to be probably five deep, four, four five deep at the linebacker position to, to be really solid. And along the offensive line I talked about all summer, I think you got to be at least eight deep. And, and I think Oregon can do that as well uh, when, when fully healthy along the offensive line. So 
I, I love what I'm seeing uh, from from the Ducks in, in a lot of different areas. There is still that one bugaboo that really does have to be cleaned up as quickly as this week or problems are going to rear their head. But I, I think that the Ducks are, are in a good spot right now. No sacks surrendered by that Oregon offensive line in their week three win over Hawaii, continuing to gel and get that chemistry. Don't believe we saw any of Nishad Struther uh, in, in that game. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, Spencer, but I don't, I don't believe so. we saw him. Saw more of Iapani Laulu again as the true freshman continues to make a name for himself along Oregon's offensive line. His older brother, Faope, also getting more involved in that rotation. So we love seeing that, the brotherhood connection live and well for the Ducks. Um, let's see what else we have here. We, we also got a comment about... Did you see real quick while you brought up Poncho, who, for those who don't know, is Iapani Lalulu's nickname. Did you know? Did you see that on the 2D, Poncho is the number two center? Uh, I didn't see that, but it doesn't totally surprise me i guess you would think it would be harper but he did play that uh in, in high school a bit so i think he has that experience along the interior. yeah i mean i i think that's just really impressive because um <laughs> yeah i mean this is an offensive line um i've seen it i think each of the last two weeks he's been the number two center on the two deep and that's that's really telling this is an offensive line that has depth and has experience and, and it's really hard for a true freshman to play meaningful snaps along the offensive line. And Poncho is doing that. Like when Steven Jones needed a spell against Texas Tech, a game that was never comfortably in Oregon's hands, Poncho was the guy who came in. Like he, he played snaps there. He looks like he's um, the, the number two center behind Jackson Powers Johnson, who's just a stud. I, I mean, you talk about, you know, from the moment he got on campus, he's been so, so darn good. But You've got transfers who came in. You've got more veteran players. You've got guys who are who have been around longer that are not necessarily starters, but have been up the depth chart, uh, or you thought would be up the depth chart. Guys like Davey Uli, perhaps, who you know have been around for a couple seasons. That that Poncho is has leapfrogged with 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 regards to the playing time. Though Uli has played, I think, a pretty solid amount this year for for the Ducks, and I think he's done a nice job. Um, I I think that's just a really really impressive thing for a true freshman to break in along the offensive line. I mean, you know, he was a four-star recruit, but I think even along the O-line, unless you have a five-star stud like Josh Connerly, true freshmen just don't play uh, all that often. You know, it's the Connerlys and the Panay Sewells of, of the world, and and now Poncho's kind of in, in the mix there. So I, I think that bodes well for what Oregon's offensive line can can be next year going forward. I was really excited about the elite Terry hire when Dan Laney made that move, and and so far it looks like it is the, the right move but we're going to have to continue to see how they respond to these big tests. You got Colorado this week, then you hit the road to go out to Stanford, which is typically a pretty physical team still trying to see what yeah, that identity the, the, looks the, like under Troy the, Taylor yeah. after they lost that's to Sac a, State last that's week. A slow, uh, that's a slow rebuild is, is what it is. That is a um, long, slow rebuild. It can still happen. I, I am not someone who thinks Stanford is just, you know, done forever. Um, I think their model to rebuild is along the Jonathan Smith timeline at Oregon State, but it is not going to be easy. I do not, however, think it is uh, impossible with the way that they're currently recruiting. I haven't checked uh, super recently, but last time I uh, had seen the national rankings, um, Oregon's class is up to number 11 in 2024, but there is Stanford inside the top 25, um, just four spots behind USC in the 2024 cycle. So I think players are going to start to get there. 
they won't be able to bring kids in via the portal. But I think that that ship can be corrected. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how they continue to build. That's always one of the more interesting programs, especially with their academic requirements. And I think them being kind of an underrated team in terms of uh, name, image, and likeness, and how they can use that to to try to narrow that gap and propel the program forward. A couple more offensive notes, Spencer, before we talk some defense uh, and Oregon's win over Hawaii. Got a comment here from uh, Trello One that one play by Sadiq was good. Mm. True, true freshman Kenyon Sadiq getting utilized in a little bit of a tight end sweep out of the backfield, uh, kind of a la Travis Kelsey style. And that dude moves very, very well with Trello saying he he moves the best out of the tight end room. Um, he, he does almost look more like a wide receiver just from where his body is at physically right now. It's going to take some time for him to get that traditional tight end build, but I love what we've seen from him. He almost had a touchdown. Some people maybe think that it should have been a touchdown in that week one win over Portland State when he dove for the pylon and, and wasn't uh, wasn't given the touchdown. But he continues to kind of show some of those flashes. And I think with as good of a game Oregon had offensively, the tight ends were not really involved that much outside of this play and a couple of, uh, of receptions here and there. So I think that's another level, another dimension that we can see Oregon uh, look to hopefully dial up moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't think Travis Kelsey is the comparison. He's not the fly sweep guy. Kyle, P- Kyle Pitts um, is, is the guy. I mean, Brock Bowers at Georgia is the best. I know best. Kansas City likes that little shuffle pass to him underneath. but maybe Yeah, yeah, that's that's what they kind of run, which is something you can do with Sadiq as well. But, the, you know, he, he played wide receiver in high school. So did Terrence Ferguson by the way, and he's turned into what I think is an NFL caliber tight end for, for the Ducks. I would be surprised, though it would be a welcome one, if he uh, if he comes back for 2024, T-Ferg that is, because I, I think he's you know capable of being drafted. But I, I look at Sadiq, and I loved the tight ends. We, we went under center a couple times um mm-hmm. not not just for the 14j but you know in kind of that uh that ace uh offset split and i i am totally good with that because there are a lot of good concepts you can run that fly sweep being one of them and you know i i think sadiq is someone who uh one of, one of oregon's highest rated recruits in the 2023 cycle for a reason like he he is he is in the kyle pitts mold that that is his ceiling by the time his oregon career comes to a close and you know, one of my like things to keep an eye on slash bold prediction for the Ducks from a depth chart standpoint for, for 2023 was by the end of the year, Kenyon Sadiq will not only be the number three tight end behind Patrick Herbert or uh, or Terrence Ferguson, but watch to see if he becomes the number two. I don't think he can be the top option there, but that's a guy who, you know, might need to up his blocking capabilities uh, a little bit, but from a pass catching standpoint, I mean, you just don't see fly sweeps in the middle of the field. You know, we handed the ball off to Matavao last year against Arizona on the one-yard line. Okay, most tight ends can kind of do that. Like, Tiefer could do that. Herbert could do that. But in the middle of the field, you have to have that speed and acceleration to get to the edge, and that's what makes him unique. And I think going forward, uh, we're going to look back and say that he was one of the best gets for the Ducks in the 2023 cycle. I, I think he can be such, such a dynamic weapon offensively. And if you ask me right now, who's our number one tight end for 2024? Uh, does, I, I think Patrick Herbert might still have a year, but I, I think it'll be 1A, 1B uh, with with Herbert and Sadiq because I, I think his upside is is really, really good. Yeah, I think that's what it is looking like. Probably some combination of uh, Sadiq and, and uh, Herbert. 
Although, yeah, Herbert was in the 19 recruiting class, but he probably has a little bit of an eligibility left over because of all those injuries, unfortunately. And, and um, COVID. Don't forget COVID. And COVID. Uh, lovely COVID. Um, that just, you know. Yeah, he's a junior this year. Bars, so Patrick Herbert can can come back. Okay, right on. Well, thanks for, for checking me on that. Another opportunity for Ty Thompson against Hawaii. Ty Thompson finishing 5 of 7 for 102 yards and a touchdown hitting Treshawn Holden over the middle on that quick slant that he just took off on. I mean, another side note is I didn't know he had that gear to him. I don't think a lot of people necessarily did because he is in that bigger physical wide receiver mold, but that dude can move. And Ty Thompson did a great job of just getting the ball to the playmakers, which is kind of what you're tasked with doing as the primary backup. And then he also showed some good touch. The pass of the day for me, uh, Spencer was that one up the sideline to Noah Whittington, kind of mm-hmm. a little back fade. Had, it had like the perfect amount of touch and finesse, but also a little bit of a little bit of speed on it, a little bit of hum on it. So I thought that was the the good thing to see from Ty, Ty Thompson. And then he's just talking in the post game about how his progression has continued to uh, move along. Great, and uh, Will Stein's doing some good stuff with him. So still a small sample size, but you know he he came in and played some clean ball, and and I think that's what you want to see. I, I think, by the way, where were you seeing for over 100 yards? On ESPN, they had him 4 of 6 for like 87 and a touchdown. Uh, these, This is the game book that we got from Oregon Athletics. So I, I usually refer to them. Um, I don't know why they'd be missing a completion. Maybe something on a swing pass. I didn't see all of Ty's snaps. Uh, that'd be my guess, is one was deemed a forward pass and one was deemed a lateral. But regardless, you know, I, I think that Ty looks so much better than than last year. Is it a small sample size? I mean, sure, but guess what? It was a small sample size when everyone, you know, was jumping ship on him and saying he can never be a starting quarterback. And my takeaway was, yeah, if he's this version of himself, I don't I don't could I can't see him ever starting for the Ducks, but if 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 he's able to get better, gosh, we know he has all the physical tools, size, mobility, arm, like you have all of that, it's everything else, but with what we've seen, against Portland State and then against Hawaii, it looks like everything else is coming along. At the very least, that's what you'd have to say because he's gotten into these same situations in the past couple of years and he hasn't looked like this. He looks like a better version of himself and someone who can contend for the starting quarterback spot in, in 2024. And look, am I guaranteeing that he will be able to win that job? Not necessarily, no. But could I see a world in which we go with Ty Thompson in, and have Novasad as the backup and then Moga and Van Buren for down the line and Achilles Smith Jr.? Like, yeah, like there's always the option of bringing in a transfer. But right now, would I say that we you know, absolutely positively have to and I can guarantee that a transfer is going to start next year? No, I can't guarantee it'll be Ty. But we, we are now seeing him in-game make those sorts of strides. He continues to be the number two quarterback for a reason across multiple staffs, meaning that he is closer than others who have been on the roster at this point in time to being the starter. And if this is what he's able to deliver in the games, I mean, when he throws that ball, Mac, I mean, he's got a stronger arm than Bo. Like, he's got a bigger arm. He's got a stronger arm. It's, you know, I think Bo's got uh, better mobility, and he, of course, does everything else at a much higher level. But, but man, if, if you had drawn up the ideal beginning to 2023 for Ty Thompson, in terms of his starting prospects, how would it look any different than what we've seen? Accuracy, execution, big throws, making good reads. He looks more comfortable taking in the, the pocket, ball. taking care of the football. I, I mean, check, check, check. Those are the things you wanted to see, and that's what we've seen so far. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's switch gears here a little bit, Spencer, and hop over to the other side of the ball. Let's talk about Oregon's day defensively against Hawaii. A couple of big numbers that stand out to me. Just 201 yards of total offense for the Rainbow Warriors. The Ducks held them to just 2 of 14 on third down, so they were able to get off the field when they needed to. And when they should, we got Kyrie Jackson getting his second pick in as many games. We got Jordan Birch's first sack. Uh, lots of stuff we can talk about here. Just uh, Oregon taking care of business against uh, one of the best passing offenses statistically in the country so far. Yeah, and, you know, they would played a couple of low-level Power 5 teams, which is not nothing, uh, Stanford and Vanderbilt, and they put up over 300 yards passing in both of those games. Like, they were moving the football, and Oregon starters did not allow a touchdown. Like, that was impressive to me i won't say very impressive super impressive the defense is ready we're back and everything like that to a 2019 level or it's not anything like that but if if i told you before the game hey we're gonna hold hawaii who's gonna throw the football over 40 times to under 150 passing yards i'd say that'd be excellent i'm not over the moon excited because i know that there are going to be better offenses oregon will play but that's what we want it to look like right so i, I think that's encouraging and i think at all three levels Oregon looks better than last year. Plays are being made by the linebackers. Didn't have that a lot a season ago. Look more physical up front with a better pass rush. Didn't have that all the time last year. The secondary looks faster. That was a weakness. I think at all three levels, you see improvement from, from a season ago, which is what you want from a coaching staff that has the ability to overhaul its roster the way you can in today's portal world. And, uh, and, and you also you know have to factor in some development. And I think that's a part of it. Guys like Jaleel Florence, who I think looks really, really good. And I was very high on coming into the year. I thought he had a great true freshman season and he looks like an absolute stud. So I, I think the defense looks like a better unit in 2023, but they still have more, more tests uh, to pass and hopefully get A's on. But, you know, the biggest thing, they got got to 
got to stop committing penalties. Goodness gracious. Yeah, penalties got to get cleaned up. No doubt about that. You can't be shooting yourself in the foot. I think that's – we've talked about it. That's a common separator, I think, between the good and the great teams. You're not shooting yourself in the foot and uh, doing the other team favors, which is something that Oregon has done all too often, at least in recent years. But I want to talk a little bit more about just the havoc that Oregon was able to create. We, we have Kyrie Jackson's interception, which was just kind of right place at the right time. But I, I don't want to, I don't say that to take away from the play because you got to be doing something right if you're in that right place at the right time. So he's kind of got the hot hand right now in the secondary. Love what I'm seeing from Florence as he continues to stand out. Saw a bit of Cole Martin as well, the true freshman in the, the second half of that one. But Jordan Birch got his first sack, which is good. You want to get that guy going. Maybe I expected him to have a little bit more than just one, maybe two, just because that offensive line certainly wasn't a strength for them. But Mace Funa was in the backfield with a tackle for loss. We saw Tatum Tuioti with a tackle for loss, true freshman making a, making an impact. So I like that they're still able to generate at least more consistent pressure flying around the ball uh, like LFBP Fishing is, is talking about. And um, – and we still haven't even seen Justin Jacobs. So you kind of can't help but wonder what kind of a leap can can Justin help take this group once he comes back. I think that uh, since we didn't see him last week, the, the hope is that he's going to be back for Colorado. And hopefully Dan Lanning gets asked about that tonight in his press conference. Yeah, and I mean, we just don't know what to expect from him because we haven't seen him yet. I mean... When a guy's coming off an injury like that, it's certainly uh, worthy to ask questions about what we can really expect to see from him. But if if that guy is as good as he is capable of being and as good as Iowa thought he would be and as good as Oregon thinks he can be, that's just another feather in the cap for this defense with you know a fast, dynamic playmaker. So um, I, I like what's, what the defense has brought. Bryce Betcher has been, I think, the biggest surprise of the season defensively. He isn't just, you know, playing. I, I, I think I haven't seen snap counts, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's out snapping Connor Soley, the Arizona state transfer, um, because Betcher's just been an impact player. Like he's, he, he's got uh, a sack. He's got a couple pressures. He almost had a, a fumble recovery against Texas tech. He had the big hit on special teams. Like that guy loves football. That guy loves hitting people. And, and he's, he's all over the place. And I, I really, really like what, uh, what he and, and, and Bossa and Hill have brought to the linebacking unit, I think Bossa looks way better. Um, I, I think he looks much, much better. I think the bulking up he's done this offseason has helped him tremendously. He still looks fast. You know, he was kind of responsible for the interception that Oregon had because he was, you know, on a blitz and he was able to get by the running back a bit and kind of got uh, Braden Shager off his back foot, fallen away, and that was caused the throw to be high, and then it was tipped, and Kyrie Jackson caught it for for the pick early in the football game. So I, I, I think the defense just looks much, much better, and, you know, they'll have their first uh, test in Pac-12 play uh, against Colorado, and, you know, I, I think against Texas Tech, they played a lot better than people think. They just, they just have to clean up the penalties, but guess what? That's part of how they played. That absolutely is. But if they don't, if they if they get those penalty yards against Texas Tech down to, you know, instead of 124 yards, let's just say 70 yards. I mean, that's at least at least seven fewer points, maybe 10. Uh, and that was on the road. So hopefully at home they'll be able to really find their footing uh, and clean things up. Because uh, Colorado, even without Travis Hunter, is is no joke offensively. Shador is legit. Yeah, Shador is definitely legit. And we can kind of talk a little bit about Colorado here as we 
kind of honing on where this defense is at three games into the season. I uh, get a comment here that says the D-line should feast this week. And uh, I can't help but feel really confident about where Oregon's defense is at, uh, at least up front. Another guy that I didn't really mention was Popo Amavai. He had, Popo one of those, so good. he had one of those two sacks last week against Hawaii. And we talked, Dan Lanning talked about, and players talked about how he's going to be an asset in the pass rush. So both he and Birch got sacks. Taki Taimani looks like he's improved from a year ago. Casey Rogers is still a beast. Keon Ware Hudson. I mean, go down the line, Spencer, and I think you're just seeing less of a drop-off or less of a gap between those starters and that second unit. And we're seeing guys like Blake Purchase start to um, start to kind of make their presence felt. And Mateo Uyunglele is is uh, nice and solid so far. So I think another good thing, to, good reason to be confident about how Oregon's going to fare against um, against Colorado this week is that they've played quality quarterbacks so far. You got a good test, their best test yet in Tyler Shuck, and then you were able to kind of slow down uh, a pretty pretty strong passing attack with Braden Shager. Yeah, and you know Shuck turning him over four times is what you would want to see from a, a guy who has been known to turn the ball over from time to time. You sacked him four, technically five times. You know it got uh, nullified because of penalty, but you know that was really Mateo's first uh, first career college sack, and um, you know five sacks and four turnovers that'll that'll get the job done in a hostile environment against a Texas Tech team that I still think is going to finish over 500 in 2023. I know they had the upset loss to, to Wyoming, and that was a bad, bad showing in week one. I think that's probably, you know, anywhere from a, a six to eight win team. So going on the road and and playing like that, I think is really encouraging. And if they clean up the penalties, they can be a really, really good unit. Yeah, they should definitely clean up the penalties. I think that's only going to improve the, the floor and the ceiling for this group. Just can't be can't be helping the other team out. If you guys are watching here on the live stream, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. We're going to hit a little bit of mailbag to kind of wind down the back end of the show. So if you guys got some questions, go ahead and throw them our way. Got a couple of these starred so far. Uh, Timothy Taft with a question for us. Do you think Oregon attempts the two-point conversions early in the Colorado game next Saturday. I, I would say I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I think that it's a good way to kind of throw that opening punch and get your opponent off balance a little bit. We, we saw that it worked earlier this season in that Texas Tech game. Some really important points that uh, you know played a big role down the line. Of course, Bossa got that pick six, but I, I say why not go for it? I think that it's an opportunity to get some momentum and, and get a fast start. Yeah, I, I think we'll see it, you know, at the very least, they'll line up for it, you know, it's a read play, you know, you you shift out from from the PAT look, and you send a certain number to one side, a certain number to the other, and you don't have the same number each week, or else teams can readily prepare for it. That's something that Chip used to do when, uh, when we did it back in the day. And uh, you have different variations that that you work on. And if, if, if it's there, yeah, I say go for it. I'm, I'm totally good with it, because I loved uh, you know, going up uh, 15 to seven against Texas Tech, because uh, like you said, that did end up playing a factor in the game. And when you have a quality opponent, if you can steal a point, you know, another one uh, that I remember was 2011 against Stanford. Um, we got the two point conversion after scoring first in the game and then Stanford scored and then missed the extra point. And then we scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point. And suddenly you have a two possession lead. You know, and and the number of times that that happens compared to the number of times that you miss it and it ends up costing you, if if you run it correctly, it is 
going to be worth it uh, in, in the long run over time. So I, I'm, I think we will see it. Um, not necessarily the attempt, I can't guarantee, but I, I think we will line up and and, and show it. Yeah, when and you know you know who's involved with those two point attempts, the tight ends who I freaking loved watching play. Yes. Maybe I'm a little biased because I played some tight end in, in high think, school. Do you think Herbert, after throwing that pass in the two point to Terrence Ferguson, was like, "Watch out, bro, I'm coming for you." He's like, hey, text to Justin. QB one. Yeah. QB one. <laughs> Chargers continue losing, even though they have one of the that's best quarterbacks Staley, in the league. That's because Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley sucks. Brandon it's Staley is so bad. Did you see the graphic? I think the herd put it up first that the Chargers in the last three years have scored the most points to begin a quarterback's career in NFL history, and in those three years, they've allowed more points than any other team yeah. in the NFL. Like so defense, defensive whiz kid. Give me a break. That guy, oh gosh, he's such a mess. They should have fired him after the playoff loss last year. That was pathetic. Like the number of times the Chargers in the NFL, this isn't college. Okay, in college, 38, 34 wins, that happens. This is the NFL. And the personnel they have, Staley's awful. Yeah, not great. Not uh, not great at all. You certainly would hope for a better scenario for, for Herbert. Didn't have Eckler last week either. I know my fantasy team missed him. Uh, this weekend, but we got one more mailbag we want to hit on. Good uh, Colorado focus here from Ram Spencer. I'm gonna says I'm going to go out on a limb and call it that Oregon actually beats the spread this week. I don't think they'll shut Sanders down completely of the Shador variety, but I do. But I don't think it will be close. Thoughts? Well, uh, it's, the spread's at twenty and a half. I it, think it moved up to twenty one. Twenty one. Okay. So here's the way that I'm. Here's the way that I would advise thinking about this. I am by no means an expert gambler, um, though the oh, Pac-12 prime picks are a game over 500 this year after a horrible week with a bunch of bad lines from last week. But anyway, so that's 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 besides the point. If you're thinking about whether or not Oregon can cover 21, you want to think first about okay, how many points do you expect Oregon to score? If Colorado State goes into Boulder and puts up 28 in four quarters which is what you need to be thinking about. I know the final score was like 43-35 or whatever it was, but that was with overtimes. It was two overtimes. So Oregon should be able to score at least 35 points, I, I think 40. So if you think the Ducks are going to score 40 or more points, put it in there. You have to ask yourself, how many points do you think we're going to allow? Because Stuart Sanders doesn't have Travis Hunter. Stuart Sanders is still a very good quarterback. I like Weaver, that receiver, number yep. 10. He was making some good plays. Yep. And then uh, the other guy who, who's who been good for them is Jimmy Horn uh, offensively. Uh, and then Dylan Edwards, the running back, is dangerous in the passing game uh, as well. So if you think Oregon can get, let's say, 45 points, which they're capable of against this Colorado defense, which especially without Travis Hunter is not very good, you have to say, are we going to hold Colorado to 24 or fewer points in that game i think that's hard to do with the way they've thrown the football around but if oregon's defense makes a statement and we keep them under 20 like if if colorado is under 20 points i think we cover that spread but if colorado is over 20 i think it's tough because the buffs are able to score point they're, they're going to score some points shador sanders is good um i don't have any qualms about oregon winning this game i i think it is a matter of whether or not they cover the 21 um, but I, but I think that's kind of the way to think about it. Like that's a big, big number for an offense that can score a lot of points. Buffs are averaging 41.33 points per game, but another mark that you got to be aware of here, they've been pretty one dimensional 
they're only averaging yep. 61 yards a game on the ground, which is kind of to one of the earlier points we were talking about how this could be a big day for Oregon's D-line. So if they're able to get after Shadour Sanders, get some hits on him and kind of get him off of his game, you've got to keep an eye on you know containing that guy and, and making it making sure that you don't let him outside the pocket. I, I think that I could see them covering this spread. I think their defense is is growing. They're they're playing at home or they play their best ball. And I think they've got some good momentum. So I think they can do it. I don't think they'll completely shut him out either. I think that he's a major reason, obviously, why they won that game over Colorado State. Um, what, what do you say? One more quick question, Spencer, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, I think that sounds uh, I think that sounds like a game plan. All right, beautiful. Andrew asks, does it make me a bad person to want Dan to run up the score on Colorado? I want to humiliate Dion. I want his press conference to be him using those stupid sunglasses uh, inside to cover him crying. Wow, this is, what a question. This is, the, this is the perfect example of why Dion Sanders, love him or hate him, is great for college football. That like that that is that is the encapsulation of it all is people want him to lose or want him to win and they want him to do one of those things passionately. And I don't think it makes you a bad person. If you get annoyed by Deion Sanders, I'm not gonna sit here and say there's no reason to feel that way. You know, I I I compare, at least for me personally, Deion Sanders to LeBron James. I appreciate what he is doing and respect him more than most. I do, however, completely understand those who can't stand him. I, I, I totally get it because there are so many moments where it is an eye roll, where sometimes I'm annoyed with him. You know, like the uh, social media handles on the back of practice jerseys. Uh, okay. It's unnecessary. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that sort of stuff. On the flip side of things, when he came in and told Colorado's locker room, yeah, we're not going to have a lot of you here next year. I said, uh, yeah, that's the gosh, that's what I would want my coach you're, to do. You're not good. Yeah, like I'm sorry. It's I a harsh world. It it's a harsh world, but the Buffs haven't been good for a while, and this is the best they've been since 2016. Um, and they were good, but I don't even think as good as this team uh, at, at the moment that year. Um, no, I know that was a pretty good team. But I, I just think that the way that the way that he goes about his business – it naturally draws in passionate supporters and equally as passionate haters. And I think that's a fun thing for the sport. And LeBron James has been great for basketball. I, I don't always love the things he says, the way he goes about his business or everything like that. But gosh, he's the best player in my generation. I'm not going to sit here and just deny that. And I can appreciate how good he is while also saying, you know, you're not exactly making yourself the most likable guy in the world with the way you're doing this. But it's your prerogative. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm a little bit in the middle when it comes to to Dion. Part of me wants to like him because he played for the Niners, so you guys know I'm a Niner fan. Um, but at the same time, he's boo, I feel like Niners. He, I, I feel boo, like he came boo. to all right, all right. I feel like he came to uh, Colorado at the perfect time. You know, with the era of the transfer portal. Oh, yeah. I'm getting super blurry here, so we're almost done um, with the era of the transfer portal, and then also with name, image, and likeness. So it's a fun show to watch, and everyone kind of just wants to see what happens next. Um, it would be really interesting just to see how he reacts in a press conference if the Ducks can blow him out. But we got to play the game, and we got to see what happens. Yep. And Spencer, I know you're on a, a tight timeline, so we're going to wind it down here. Before people get out of here, where can they find you and the work you got going? 
I'm on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55, and I host Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts all year round. And it is so great to be talking about football. Again, I haven't brought up realignment in quite some time, though I kind of have to on just a little bit on uh, tomorrow's episode of Locked On Pac-12. But I can survive that rather than having to talk about it all day, every day. There we go. There we go. Well, you guys can catch me on Spencer's show this week, it looks like. So Wednesday. Keep, keep an eye out for that one. A big thank you to Spencer for coming on. If you want to follow me, lock in with me on Twitter and Instagram, at mtorisports. Find my written work on ducksdigest.com. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Oregon Football Max Taurus. But make sure you guys share the show. Subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get to 2,500. Appreciate the support. And we will catch you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.